Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithloday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's the middle of summer, so naturally I'm ready to talk about basketball. Uh, yeah, that is the time when everybody uh, thinks about basketball. Um, uh, you know, I play in my rec league. Uh, we, you know, we go outdoors to play basketball, so uh, <laughs> it is actually pretty natural for me. Um, uh, Oregon will be getting a new point guard for the first time in like five years, uh, which is the position that I play in my league. Um, uh, those guys don't get a new point guard, but the Oregon Ducks do. Um what do you think about uh, uh, the Ducks, you know, point guard situation? Um, I think that it's 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 definitely an area that they needed to fill, uh, considering where they've been since since Pritchard left. Um, I think that for a lot of his time at Oregon, Will Richardson was kind of expected to be like you know that guy at the point, like running the show. Uh, but unfortunately, he 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 preferred to play much more as a hybrid guard. Um, and so he never really got completely comfortable in that point guard role. And because of that, other players on the team would kind of have to rotate into it. There was never really like a true floor general. So I think that was definitely an, an area of need moving forward for Oregon. And I'm looking forward uh, to seeing how they do with like an established point guard. At this point. I mean, Dana Altman believed in him. I mean, through mm-hmm. thick and thin, Dana Altman, you know, believed in Will Richardson. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's gone now and you've written an article, um, you know, reviewing, you know, what, what, you know, Oregon's roster men's basketball roster is likely to be in the 23, 24 season, um, yes. you know, that's coming up, uh, you know, they have, you know, multiple departures and, you know, it's not just Will Richardson, although that's sort of the most glaring one, given that, you know, like I said, you know, Dana Altman really, you know, really was sticking, you know, it was Will Richardson's team. Um, and sort of, you know, the Will Richardson era is over, you know, uh, among other things. Um, and, and, you know, they have multiple holes to fill, including, you know, they, they had, you know, one that they had like, uh, uh, you know, Devin Cambridge from Arizona state who they thought, you know, they had on board and then suddenly he flipped, you know, recently. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's been a lot of roster management that Dana Altman's had to do this off season. And you spent your article, um, you know, running down, you know, what those changes have been, including some last minute changes. Um, why don't you walk us through them? Sure. Uh, so as we, uh, well know, shooting was something that just completely plagued Oregon the last couple of years. Uh, they just could not get reliable shooting, particularly from the outside. And when you're looking at the Ducks roster on a whole, you can see that, you know, they're bringing back some key pieces on the inside. So there really shouldn't be much of an issue about their rebounding, about their rim protecting. You have Dante coming back, you have Biddle coming back, you know, you have, um, five-star recruits that are coming in six, eight, six, nine, you can, you can fill those holes pretty easily. So now it's just about the perimeter spreading out and, and creating open shooters. Uh, Devin Cambridge had seemed like one of the players that could help fill that, but uh, you know, he, he flipped and then he flipped again and su- such is the nature of transfers and whatnot. However, in my article, I did go over uh, that Altman had snagged uh, three guys that, are all guards that should definitely help with the uh, with the perimeter shooting. Uh, the first one, obviously, was uh, Jadrian Tracy from Florida Southwestern State. 
Um, it's a small college, you know, it's a junior college, so it's, it's, you know, a different story, but he did average about 14 points there. And, uh, here's, here's the, the plus is that he shot 45% from the field and 43% from three point line. And so even if it's, you know, at the junior college level, shooting is shooting. And so if this guy, yeah, is it's not evil, like they have a different arc at the Juco yeah, level, you know? Yeah. Same, same size basket, same size rim, everything like that. So the guy can knock down the shots. And so that's, that's going to be like, you know, a big plus there. Um, another one that he brought in more recently was a transfer guard from uh, Georgia, Cario. And I hope I don't butcher his last name, Oquendo, I believe. Um he actually began his collegiate career at uh, FSS, uh, where Tracy is, has been going. And um, Cario also averaged 14 points a game. And this is in like SEC play. So, you know, this is going up against the Kentuckys, Tennessees, and Floridas and stuff. So, you know, the guy can score. Uh, he started uh, 15, 59 of the 60 games he played. So, he brings in that experience and everything. And again, above a 40% shooter shot 43% from the field. Um, so that's like another guy that can help space the floor, another, you know, guard that you can put out there to hit open shots. And then a smaller signing, which kind of came in lieu of the uh, Cambridge departure was uh, a, a journeyman by the name of Jesse. And again, I try my best with this last name, Zarzuela. Uh, he's been playing at central Michigan, uh, for the last year, but he's he's been all over the place. Um, he was averaging 16 points a game at Central Michigan, though, and he shot 37% from the three-point line. So essentially what Altman's done is he's taken a look at this roster, which, you know, is, is filled with talent, and been like, okay, well, what's the primary hole I need to fill that was, you know, like left by departures and left by, you know, the problems that they had the last couple of years. And that was floor spacing, shooting guards. And so I said, and I joked in the article, Altman has been utilizing the transfer portal before it was even a thing. You know, he's, he's always been able to reel in these guys from like smaller colleges or different universities come into Oregon and play lights out. Uh, it's not always the case, but he's done a great job of it. So I think addressing this issue with like the perimeter shooting should really help free up Oregon's offense, especially considering that they're, you know, bringing back twin towers down in the post. And like you said, for the first time since Pritchard left, they should in all likelihood with how Shellstad has been showing himself, have a true floor general, true pure point guard on the floor to distribute the ball. But by which you mean Jackson Selstad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I mean, that's where I, what I really wanted to talk about is that like the, you know, when I was reading your article, what I kept, you know, what I had my, my, my eyes wide open for my, my ears pricked wide for was, Hey, could some of these guys, you know, maybe maybe take the pressure off of Shellstad because he's a true freshman. And I don't think that's true. You know, when I look at the profile of uh, Tracy and Oquendo and, and uh, Zarzuela, that's not what I get at all. Like mm-hmm. I get that those guys are outside shooting guards um, and really like outside spacing, you know, with an emphasis on three point shooting. And like, I think your analysis is correct. Like, I think that those guys are, you know, the, 
uh, are, are not at all uh, about uh, uh, about the field general, you know, position mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, and I think, you know, just the reason that I started out talking about Will Richardson and the Will Richardson era being over and, and how much that Dana Alton believed in Will Richardson is that, like, it seems to me like. Altman's chips are all in on Jackson Shellstad in the way that like his chips were all in on Will Richardson and before him Peyton Pritchard and before him you know other point guards that like Altman like identifies a point guard and he's just like ride or die with that dude and that like that pattern hasn't changed with you know the way that that Altman's been uh, managing his roster in this first you know, post Richardson off season, you know, hasn't altered that pattern. It's been like, you know, or, or do, do you think I'm wrong about that in any way? Oh no, um, you're correct. And, and I, I definitely see it <clears throat> as a similar situation to kind of what Pritchard came into when he came in. Now, obviously Pritchard came into, you know, one of the already best established Oregon basketball teams they've ever had. Sure. Uh, but he also, he also came into a situation that did not have, a true, you know, maestro of the floor, a true point guard. Uh, you know, he you had floor spacing guards like Dylan Ennis and Casey Benson on there. Sure. But Pritchard, yeah, was kind of expected to be that, you know, that ball handler, that distributor. Um, I think that what'll ha- kind of like free up a little bit of the pressure on Shellstad is is just the fact that, like I said, you have such a talented and deep roster around you. And uh, one guy I didn't mention in my article, but it is kind of important that he's returning is uh, Jermaine Cousinard. Uh, sure. Because, you know, again, he tended to play a little bit more of an off guard, a little bit more of a high right. regard. However, at, you know, the size he is about six two at the, you know, he he has played point guard. Yeah. And he's, no, no, no. He, he can be a scoring point guard. So it, it, if Shellstead yeah. needs some Gatorade, I agree with you. Cousinard's the guy who plays it. But like what? But but you do you agree with me? And, and what I what I took from your article, and it sounds like I, I, I got it right. I read your article correctly, is that like. Altman's all in on Shellstead as his next, you know, his next dude at, at, at point guard. And he didn't go in none of the dudes that he brought in, not Kwame Evans, not Mookie Cook, not Jesse Zarzuela, not Cario Quindo, not, uh, 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 um, uh, J. Uh, Dream Tracy, none of the four, uh, other or five other new dudes that he brought in to this team this offseason is in, as far as I can tell from the way that this basketball team is structured, is meant in any way to take any of the pressure off of Shellstad to do point guard stuff, you know, because that's two, that's two forwards and two shooting guards, um, or th- uh, two forwards and three shooting guards, you know, it, it, the, like none of those are, are Shellstad relief. Like, yeah, true. And here's the thing, though, when it comes down to recruiting blue chippers, sometimes that's kind of what you have to do. You kind of have yeah. to go all in on certain guys. And the fact of the matter well, is, and I've, yeah. co- I've covered this rec- more recently this spring about how Shellstad is kind of rocketing up the recruiting rankings. Well, like yeah. he's he's very much flirting with five star status at this point. And so when you're, you know, looking at a kid like that and looking at the skill set he has and everything, and also being kind of like a, you know, a native of Oregon coming from the same place that Pritchard came from, you're looking, I think, more at somebody long term 
Uh, I don't think Dana Altman is, or or most Oregon fans for that matter, are looking at Shellstad as a one and done type of kid. You're kind, no, you're I, definitely I thinking that he'll be there for two or three years, and so yeah. to get him in to the system right away, to get him, you know, like just kind of like having to be that guy right away. Um, it pays dividends when, you know, later on for sure. And when we saw that with Pritchard, you know, he stepped in with like this team that had astronomic expectations, you know, as it was expected to go to the final four, which they did and everything. And he was still expected to be kind of like that guy. And then by his senior year, you know, he's yelling to the you know fans in Seattle, this yeah, is my right. city, you know? So it's just like, I, I think that's good to be honest. I think having Shellstad having to deal with this, right away is just going to harden him later on. And by the time he is maybe an upperclassman, you'll see kind of like that version, like that real floor general leader. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not weighing in one way or the other, you know, whether it's a wise move or a foolish move, I'm just trying to read the tea leaves. And I thought your oh, yeah. article went, you know, a long way, you know, to, to, you know, setting up the board, um, you know, for, for what Altman is thinking about how his team is going to be composed. Um, and, and like, I get it, you know, like in terms of, and I think you did a good job in terms of like, uh, uh, analyzing, you know, analyzing the brain of Dana Altman in terms of how he is viewing his own roster for where his, you know, where the holes are at or were at and, and where he felt he was strong. And like, it's interesting where he felt he was strong. Um, you know, given what the returning pieces were and apparently the vote of confidence that this represents, um, in Shellstad, um, and, uh, and of course, you know, we're, we're very interested to see, you know, I'm particularly interested to see Oquendo. Um, you know, I, I know you let off talking about like Tracy, you know, is a 43%, you know, three point shooter would be really cool. But like, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see the kid from Georgia, you know, uh, just cause you know, he's had, you know, power five playing experience, like at any rate, like, yeah, I would definitely like to see some perimeter shooting. Um, but like all of them have, you know, good, you know, like, uh, you know, Tracy was shooting 43% from the three point line and, uh, Zarzuela was shooting 36%, like anything above 33%, you know, I'm happy. And like, you know, shooting from beyond the arc, like the distance is the defender, like, oh, yeah. You know. As a team, as a team, last year Oregon shot a combined thirty-two percent from downtown. Yeah, like so when yeah. You, when you look at these three guys' shooting percentage from three-point range, everything is an improvement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, hey, and uh, you know uh, it, it, the the basketball team and, and Peyton Pritchard har- like uh, harkens back to the old uh, Matt Court days, uh, which you also wrote an article about that was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I did. Um, I I had some fun with that. It was uh, it was kind of a nostalgic piece, you know, like for the for the summer doldrums and whatnot. But I actually tried to institute some investigative journalism. <laughs> And I really, uh, yeah, I, I, I picked the brains of the, of the staff that kind of run the place about like uh, kind of what was going on with it. Um, what, what I found out wasn't wasn't exactly super exciting or anything like that. Um, Matt Court is essentially just being being mostly used for recreational and PE activities at this point. Um, it's it's more used for volleyball than anything else. Uh, when I went in there, the uh, the hoops weren't even up. It was uh, divided into like three separate volleyball courts. And they said a lot of like their PE classes are running there. Now, yeah. the interesting thing uh, about Matt Court is that it's it's uh, for like university related activities. It's actually available, uh, you know, to to pay for 
to hold certain activities. So if, you know, the university decided like, hey, we, you know, we want to do something in here. We want to actually like charge admission. That's an open thing to do. Um, that kind of led into what I wrote about in my article, because going back in there again, I just, you know, and, and I was a I was a student at UO from 07 to uh, 2010. And so when I was there, it was all Mac court, you know, that's, that's where we played. That was, you know, where I remember going and it's crazy how the place just hadn't changed at all. Um, from the outside, it, it just, you know, it looks way more dead. There's not a lot of banners hanging up and all those, you know, cars outside and everything, but inside it really looks no different. It like, you know, they've, they've, they've kept yeah. it up to exactly the same way they had it when, when the team was playing there. And it just kind of gave me the idea that if the university, um, you know, it's allowed to hold university activities where you can, you know, charge admission and stuff, it just popped into my head, like, you know, why not have like a little throwback game there, you know, either for men's or women's basketball or, or even volleyball each year, um, you know, just, you know, maybe not a huge contest, not a conference contest, like a, you know, a smaller non-conference game, but just to give that chance of, people like me and, and and a lot of other people that grew up going there to get back in there again and just kind of feel that vibe again. And not only that, but to kind of like give the younger generation who's known nothing but Matthew and Night Arena a chance to be like, oh, wow, you know, this is like the old school place we used to play and whatnot. Yeah, man. I, it's an interesting thought. Like it were, yeah, at the very least, they'd be like, yeah, I can't wait to get back to Matthew Night Arena. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the seats are comfortable. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they have nice concession. Yeah. Gr- granted, depending on where you're sitting, you know, Matt Court could be a, a, a little yeah, bit man. of a frustration. I remember I, I, thinking one time after. After seeing a game, you know, from the upper level that my was going to have permanent neck damage from having to crane yeah, my neck right. yeah, to see correctly. But uh, yeah, that's, that's why I said just to have like a maybe a once a year throwback game there. Man, what I remember from that court is, uh, you know, when the opponent would come in and, and, and we could get the... Uh, you know, we could get the place rocking bad enough when they were trying to shoot free throws that the rim would be bouncing up and down like six inches. And it was like, good luck making your free yes, throws. That's, you know, with that, then I, I might be worried about like the roof coming down. <laughs> like, yes. That's yeah. what I wonder. It's like, that's, maybe they had, you know, maybe they had to move to Matthew. Now. <laughs> maybe yeah, there was, there was definitely, but I mean, I did like, like you said, that's, that's what I remember a lot about being in the student section there and stuff is that, you know, if you got it rocking enough, it, it it wasn't just the noise. It was literally you'd make the whole friggin' building rock. You'd, you'd <laughs> shake it, and it was just kind know, of like, man. okay, is this place actually going to collapse? I mean, it's is like, a, it's like across like, the street from the cemetery. I worried about like waking <laughs> the dead, you know? Like, yeah, but uh, no, that was a, that was a fun little piece to do. Just like I said, while I had time during the summer, and just kind of like getting down there, being able to get back in there, kind of see what it looks like, and then just trying to pick the brains to the best of my ability of the staff that work there. Although, like I said, the information they gave me, was just pretty cut and dry, <laughs> yeah. um, but no fun, fun little piece. And they did find, I, they found the old platypus trophy in the basement of Matt court. That's where the, <laughs> it, it got like somehow in the move to Matthew Knight. That's where it got stuck. And uh, that's the, you know, but they found it when they were cleaning it out. So like, yeah, that's the old piece of history. Yep. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back. We'll, uh, talk a little football. 
So you also recently wrote a piece uh, examining Oregon's uh, backup quarterback options. Uh, uh, fortunately, uh, Bo Nix decided to come back. I remember when I um, I wrote up uh, Bo Nix coming into Oregon, he was very like publicly like, I only want to spend one year here. Then I am going to go off to the NFL. And I, you know, I was putting in my articles like, well, I've looked at his eligibility and he actually has one extra year remaining. And everybody was like, yeah, but, you know, he said he's going to leave. So I don't know why you're telling us this and i was like well you know you know just in case you never you know never so here uh, we are um yeah. but you know uh it, it's also the case that you want to have you know backups and like yeah i mean it's just you know i i recently wrote you know articles you know previewing all of uh all the other pac-12 teams and i mean it's just the case that that there are a couple of other Pac-12 teams that have more experienced, you know, quarterbacks like, you know, Arizona State has like two different guys who've who've been starting quarterbacks. Washington has two different guys who've been starting quarterbacks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and just, you know, not the case at Oregon. They've got Bo Nix and they've got guys who have not been starting quarterbacks before. No, uh, not at all. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how I kicked the article off was just you know, explaining. And it was true, you know, when I started, I mean, obviously we knew that Caleb Williams was coming back just because, you know, he, you know, had to stem in another year. But then when you heard that Penix was coming back, that Rising was coming back, you know, it's like, oh boy, are we going to be able to even compete in this? And then Nick's yeah. came back and it's like, whew, okay, yeah, we got our guy. So we should be all right competing. Uh, but yeah, uh, then, then when you look beyond Nick's, uh, it does, it does get a little dicey. It gets a little concerning. Um, Really kind of like there, there wasn't too much info that I really had on uh, Marcus Sanders. Um, it, it, yeah. it looked like he didn't even really play all that much his senior year. It looked like he just you know played about eight games. He was efficient in the games yeah. he played, but there's just not much to know about him. Uh, so yeah, then- I, I don't I, I don't actually think he's on scholarship like he's one of these Oregon's actually at the point in their recruiting game where they actually get like guys who are like three stars in the recruiting services, but they're like non-scholarship. There's a couple of other guys who mm-hmm. are like him, you know, uh, like I think Hassan Ritter's one of them, one of the running backs. I think they have a defensive back who's like a three-star guy who's, uh, who's non-scholarship there. There's a few others. Um, uh, but yeah, um, uh, uh, <laughs> but it, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Sanders, uh, you know, might be, who knows, man, like at the level of experience that these guys have. Yeah, no, it's, um, and so, yeah, you have that. And then, so basically what it's going to come down to, as I kind of noted in my article is you're, you're going to have, uh, you know, after the more flip, uh, we, we definitely needed to grab at least, you know, a, another high end quarterback. Uh, from from everything that I've looked up on him, all the tape that I've watched, and you know stats that I've compiled, uh, Novasat is is a legit guy. You know this oh, is yeah. definitely a yeah a, a legit quarterback. You know coming out uh, solid four star recruit. Um, you know I put up some of his stats um, in the article that were pretty impressive. You know th- throwing for almost nine thousand yards during his high school career with a hundred a hundred and fourteen touchdowns to eighteen interceptions. Yeah, and uh, like, just, yeah, the fact that, just the fact that he had uh, three different games where he threw seven touchdown passes. And yeah, it's just like okay, this this guy is a gunslinger. Like he knows what he's doing. So y- you look at all those things he's accomplished and everything like that, and you're like, all right, we're set. 
But I think that, you know, the, the word of caution is because it's like the guy has never stepped onto a, you know, a collegiate football field. He's never played a snap of collegiate football. And I remember, you know, when, when Ty Thompson was coming in, it was kind of the same kind of hype. It was just like, this is the highest rated quarterback we've ever got, you know, like Thompson's, uh, you know, rating coming in was, was, was just like astronomical. You know, you were thinking like, Oh God, this is going to be like the next Mariota for us. And so it's just, it's tough to tell because as oh, a, yeah. you know, as I've pointed out, it's you, we just still after like three seasons almost really just have not seen enough of Thompson to really know what he can do. He just yeah, man. hasn't really been in the game that much. The, the thing, I mean, what I, my experience, you know, having, you know, done this and it's not just for quarterbacks and it's not just for Oregon, you know, it's for like all the positions for all the teams, you know, and all, all this evaluation, you know, film and, and, and stats and so forth this is like a dude's like talent level on paper from the scouting services. Like, first of all, the, the, the people who are like stars don't matter. Those people can take a hike. Like the, the you're wrong. Stars do matter. Like they, they absolutely do. Um, and the scouting services don't really get it wrong. Like, yes, occasionally they do get it wrong. Like, yes, there are, you know, two stars who make it to the league. They're the exception. Like they're very rare. Stars. Um, Stars matter. I, I kind yeah. of prefaced the article talking about 2014 Ohio State, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. yeah, well, that's why they got it done because they just loaded yeah, up like in the in the aggregate, you know, like 95 <laughs> times out of 100, you know, like the, the folks who were like, oh no, this it's totally arbitrary. Like now you're wrong. Um, the, the but my experience is that like what the stars, you know, with the with the with the the recruiting services are doing are talking about what the dude's like potential is like what they're, mm-hmm. what they're talking about is like what that dude's ceiling is. If he pops like, and like, I'm sorry, that's sort of like a non-scientific verb like pops uh, or not, but like uh, it's just the, 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 it, it, it's an unrelated question whether or not, uh, the kid actually lives up to his potential. Mm-hmm. If he lives up to his potential, then, you know, that's when his like talent rating comes into play. Because like if the dude pops, but he's just a three star, then the most you're going to get out of him is like a three star, like a fully leveraged, like maxed out three star is actually a pretty good football player. Like, yeah. you know, a, a fully maxed out, like high three star football player would beat the crap out of you or me. You know, if if <laughs> if we had to like, you know, wrestle them or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. they're legit it, athletes for sure. Yeah, you know exactly. It, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's it's just a it's a totally separate question of whether or not the kid's going to pop. You know, and in my experience, it's just a straight up rule of thirds. You know, like a third of dudes. You know, if you go recruit three guys at the same position, one of them is going to pop. One of them is just going to completely wash out of your program. Like just they're basically never going to see the field or something bad's going to happen to them. Unfortunately, it's just like, like it, you know, they're going to get hurt or they're going to get in trouble with, 
something, you know, and just not see yeah. the field or just like, you know, it's, I'm sorry. It's just like the law of, like, I can't tell you why it'll happen or what exactly is going to happen, but just, just the rule of thirds, it's going to happen, you know? Um, and then like the final third is like something in between, like he'll play, but it won't, he'll be like a career backup or like, he'll give you a, a year or two, but then he'll get hurt, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, he'll, he'll play well, but then he'll transfer out and then he'll play well for another team, you know, or, you know, something somewhere in between. Um, and it's just like, I'm sorry, it's just the rule of thirds. And so like the, the fact that a dude is a five star doesn't mean that he's more or less likely to pop. It just means if he pops that he'll throw for, you know, 5,000 yards instead of 4,000 yards. Um, Yeah. yeah. So like the idea that like, well, you took a five star and he didn't work out. That means that you're a crappy developer. Like, no, you know, the, the only way that you would be able to say that is that if like, if your program like took six, five stars and, and, and more than two, you know, washed out, then you would start to say that, but guess what? I've been doing this for a long time and I've actually been curious about those questions and, and like, and, and went and looked at the teams that have like reputations for being like poor developer programs. And guess what? They don't have more than a third of their guys wash out. And I go look at the programs that have reputations as being great developers. And guess what? They don't, they don't have more than a third of guys, you know, that it it just doesn't, you know, work out that way. A lot of programs, what happens when they have reputations as being great developers is what happens is they get guys that just like this certain like liminal threshold where like they could have gone to the NFL, but instead they choose to come back and they play like a super senior year. And then, Mm -hmm. and they get like a little bit more out of them, but that's not extra. For development they're just getting another year out of that guy um and like a lot of times teams that are just sort of like o- just over that threshold kind of like paradoxically wind up screwing themselves or not screwing themselves but you know what i mean it's like they're just good enough to get players who go to the nfl early and it's like uh you know it's like uh, anyway, uh, th- these are problems that only display themselves in the aggregate. And anybody who gets on Twitter who's like, oh, you have a higher than average bus rate or you have a lower than average bus rate or you have a higher than average development rate or lower than average development rate. It's like, guess what? You have not done that math to demonstrate that. Um, like, And if you anybody who has done the math will tell you, like, no one beats the law of averages. It's a yeah. law. Um, so like. Okay, sorry, it's been a long rant about math, <laughs> about your article. Um, anyway, uh, uh, back to Ty Thompson. Uh, it's too early to say whether or not uh, he's a bust or he's an in-between, um, but he sure hasn't like pushed Bo Nix off the field. You know? Yeah. You just, I, it's like I said, it's just frustrating because you just, you just don't know enough about him. I mean, I, I pointed out in, you know, in, my, in, in my article that you know, the very first time he did come in to a game, granted it was against Stony Brook, um, yeah. you know, which is essentially like a glorified community college. However, you know, he was six of nine. He passed for you know like eighty-two yards and two touchdowns. So it was like, yeah. all right, yeah, look, he looks efficient. He looks you know confident. He looks everything. Since uh, you know, since then, it's just like I mean, he hasn't even compiled eighty yards passing since then. Uh, he has not passed for another touchdown. Um, he's just he's he's basically just been thrown in. I know to to garbage time, you know, which is like 
it's fine. You know, you understand like in garbage time, your job isn't to air it out and try to, you know, do all this. But I, I think what concerned me a little bit was that um, in the, you know, the crucial moment against Washington where Knicks had to sit out a play after getting hurt, that they didn't even think really to kind of try and at least utilize Thompson's, uh, you know, dual know. Threat ability or his passing ability. They literally just three straight plays had him just like, just turn and hand off to the running back, just showing that like, it's almost like they just didn't trust him any further than they yeah, could. Yeah, I know. Or maybe, him, you know? But like, on the other hand, maybe they're like, he's cold. You know, like that's the yeah. the thing about Thompson that I like, I'm still hesitant to just write him off. I know that a lot of fans have because like every time he goes on the field, something disastrous happens. And so like a lot of fans who, let's face it, are superstitious or just other are like very quick to draw conclusions. Well, you know, uh, and I understand why, you know, but I it's emotional and my job job's an analyst my job is to not be emotional about mm-hmm. this like i don't think i have enough data um and like and I, what i'll say like i did a project on this like but it didn't take me that long it took me a day i watched every you know this summer i watched every throw that ty thompson has made i watched every snap that ty thompson took even the garbage time ones which normally i don't do right you know because mm-hmm. Uh, but I watched every single one of them. And the thing about it is that it's all bad film. Like the, he's not been, he's, he's not ever been uh, with the exception of that Stony Brook game, but then that's against an FCS team. So it's still bad film. Uh, He's never been put in to run like the normal offense when he's warmed up, you know, it's like he, we don't have any just like sustained good film. He's always put in to run like some trick play or hand the ball off or some like gadget stuff. Like it's never just like run the offense tie. And so it's, it's like, I I don't feel like I have good sustained quality film to then say, okay, on this basis, you performed poorly. This guy's a bust. Get rid of him. Like, I just don't have that film. Um, on the other hand, the fact that I don't have that film over two different coaching staffs, you know, the fact that two different coaching staffs has refused to give me that film and that when Bo Nix got hurt, their solution was to put in a gimpy Bo Nix. Yeah. It's sort of on, like maybe there's leg, something to like, read into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know, granted, man. It was against Utah, and it was, like, at the end of the season when all the standings really mattered. But still, I was just like, like yeah, you're, I don't know, you're, you're literally putting out Long John Knicks hopping around on one leg out there as opposed to Thompson. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but but at that point, it's all it's it's speculation and inference. You know, it's not what I want to do, which is watch quality film and make, you know, informed comparisons. So... Mm-hmm you know you don't know and and yeah and just like you know for for all of the for all the happy talk about Novasad that you then have to temper by saying but we've never seen him play in a college you know uniform against college defenses you have to make exactly the same tempering about you know, any bad thing that you want to say about Ty Thompson, like we've never, like we've never really seen him play with fair film. So like, that's why I was doing that comparison is to like, you know, look at Novasad, look at all these accomplishments, look at all the same was true of Thompson. Yeah. It's like, you just, yeah. But you also have to face it. That's like, look, man, like, and I mean, this isn't really saying anything crazy because like, look, you know, of the three quarterbacks that you mentioned and there's more than than four good quarterbacks in the Pac-12. 
but like, look, well, Caleb yeah, I, Willett, was, I was I was pointing out more of the. Well, yeah, I, I know, but like, <laughs> look, if you make a list of these guys who had like, there was a bunch of like top twenty offenses in the Pac twelve yeah. last year that were led by a bunch of good quarterbacks, but like only one of them had, you know, a, a, a decent backup behind him that was Penix with uh, with Dylan Morris. You know, Caleb mm-hmm. Williams gets hurt, USC's offense goes to hell. Cam Rising gets hurt, Utah's offense goes to hell. You know, mm-hmm. Bo Nix gets hurt, Oregon's offense goes to hell. It's because in modern college football with the transfer portal, you're not allowed to have a high quality backup quarterback. You're allowed to have a sort of journeyman quarterback behind you. You know, mm-hmm. that's, you know, so that's Dylan Morris for Washington. That's like Borgay at, at ASU. Uh, you know, there's a couple other examples, but you don't, you know, like Ohio State in 2014 is sort of the unicorn where they had like multiple NFL quarterbacks on the same roster who were willing to sit there, which is like, yeah it's insane that they had that, you know, like the instant that you have multiple high quality quarterbacks, most teams, that second guy just is going to transfer out, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at this point. And and the fact that Ty Thompson hasn't transferred out is maybe another data point. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if he, if he thought that there was just no hope or whatever, well, that's sort of on the other hand though, I should, I should walk that back. Like on what film is he going to transfer out? You know, on what film is he going to show other schools and say, Hey guys, take me, you know, like maybe, maybe his film is a poison pill, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, man, it's, it's, it's scary to think of, of, uh, (laughs) you know, what could happen with, without Nick's, uh, but uh, you know, decision or no decision, he will not be here after this year. And we're going to yeah. have to face this at some point, you know, yeah, he's going to run unless, it all. unless they're just going to pull another rabbit out of a hat and some other under, you know, underrated, undervalued SEC quarterback comes out here and just absolutely destroys it. But you can't count on that. So. Well, we are going to talk about in a minute a, a uh, an actually an SEC guy who used to be a quarterback, and that's uh, Casey Kelly, uh, who transferred from Ole Miss, although now he plays tight end and will for the Oregon Ducks uh, after the break. So uh, my series of uh, doing the film study of all the uh, uh, transfers coming into Oregon continues. Uh, this week I'm doing Casey Kelly, uh, who comes in from Ole Miss. And uh, uh, interestingly, he's, he comes from a quarterback family. Um, his older brother was Chad Kelly, uh, who played quarterback for Ole Miss. He beat Alabama a couple of times, you may recall. Um, Thank you, and- Chad. Yeah. His uncle is Jim Kelly, uh, who are older fans uh, may recall, uh, 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 was a starting quarterback at Miami, uh, the Hurricanes for a while and uh, and was like a legend at, at Buffalo for, for yeah, a while. The comeback. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, uh, Casey Kelly, um, was like a high school quarterback for a, a, a while. Um, and then towards the end of his, uh, uh, his high school career, he, he converted over to, to being a tight end. Um, and so that's what he was recruited to, uh, old miss as, as, as a tight end. Um, and so, Hey, maybe he'll, maybe he'll be a backup quarterback for Oregon. Maybe that's, yeah. really, you know, <laughs> he's got the arm. Yeah, exactly. He's the sneaky real reason. Um, <laughs> Maybe there's some trick plays in his future. Uh, I it did actually have my eye open for that, but Ole Miss never used him that way. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, the the sort of the he was a, a, a low three star when they were in, in the 2019 recruiting cycle, like a point eight three three, which is like a lower profile than Oregon usually recruits. Um, 
and actually a little lower profile than Ole Miss usually recruits. Um, but I think there's sort of a, a reason behind that. Um, the, uh, the number one, sort of the reason Oregon got them is I think they sort of needed to is sort of a response to Terrence Ferguson being injured and, yeah. um, and, and just sort of like they're that, you know, they, they lost two guys to the transfer portal, uh, uh, Kay McCormick and Maliki Madavow, uh, you know, and I sort of understand the reasons why they did that. You know, Kenny Dillingham was running 12 personnel, you know, on about a third of all of his snaps and, and Will Stein is uh, UTSA was in 12 personnel only about like 16 or, or you know, yeah, you know, uh, only about like, like much fewer, like less than half of that. Uh, so like, you know, he just needs fewer tight ends. So like he had multiple tight ends transfer out and then Terrence Ferguson gets injured. And so it's sort of like, oh, they've been sort of grabby about tight ends and, and and sort of like getting a tight end who has like, who's not going to mess up your development cycle, you know, Mm -hmm. by, having like multiple years of eligibility left like yeah i see and who was like late in the transfer cycle it's sort of like casey kelly was probably the best that they could they who they could get and, and you know so all things so i wasn't really expecting to see a lot on his film and all things considered i was sort of pleasantly surprised with what i saw on his film um and the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, is that like, I sort of understood why he was rated as just a sort of a 0.83. It's because he was so skinny. We came in from high school cause he was still mm-hmm. sort of a quarterback weight. Like he's six, four, which is good, you know, height for, for a tight end. It's good height for a quarterback too, but he was like quarterback weight, you know, he was like two fifteen. you mm-hmm. know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's sort of like, I totally understood why the scouting services were like, let me get this straight. You're, you weigh 215 pounds and you only recently converted to playing tight end. Yeah. You're a 0.83 dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I don't blame them for doing that at all. That's totally what I would have done. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying oh, yeah. they screwed up, you know? Um, clearly, clearly we weren't looking at a Tim day kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, although I will note like by the, by the end of 2022, he was like weighing it at 255 pounds. Like he oh, yeah. really found the training table and got, you know, like on film, like he really looks like a big tight end now. And I'm like, okay, good dude. Like, yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like, I think, I I think like deep in his bones, he's got, I mean, like literally in his bones and, and also sort of like his head for the game, like his instincts, like I think he's got some NFL potential. Um, I do have some objections to like some of his technique, particularly like his blocking technique, particularly, particularly in pass protection. Like I have, like he's got some real bad reps in pass protection and, um, and a lot of that has to do with, I just don't think that Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin, which is like the entire time he's been there, it's been Lane Kiffin's program. Like, I don't think that it's a real sloppy program. I've now done like um, both the offense and the defense for Ole Miss for like multiple years because I did Taishim Johnson, who came, who was, you know, uh, safety, um, you know, yeah. who transferred in. So I've, I've now watched like, you know, all this film uh, and, and like, I just see so many like sloppy mistakes out of Ole Miss, you know, on their film on the offense and the defense to the point where I think it's like, this has to be the head man, you know, where I'm talking about like assignment errors. I'm talking about like routes getting run the wrong way. I'm, I'm talking about like guys being out of position on the defense on like execution stuff, technique stuff, like stuff, not getting corrected over multiple years of development over multiple guys. Um, 
like substitution errors. Like I see illegal substitution penalties on that team, like a lot, um, just like leverage problems, just like all the little things. Like if you imagine like watching a Nick Saban team and imagine like all the things about the process, like all the, th- all the little things that Nick Saban teams do to win games, like all, all the, you know, all the, like you better get your rep, right? And if you don't, there's like three, five stars waiting behind you, you know, who are, you know, to, to eat your lunch and your coach is going to be on your ass. You know, if you get it wrong a second time, like all those little things now take all that and throw it out the window for a Lane Kiffin team, you know? So it's like, like all that, all those little, and frankly, it makes me appreciate all the little stuff. I feel like Oregon's generally a pretty well-managed team, you know, that gets a lot of that sort of execution stuff. Right. And I'm not saying that that means that like, Oh boy, once Oregon gets their hooks in Casey Kelly, they're going to fix a lot of those sort of developmental issues that I noticed, but like, you know, you can fix developmental problems. You can't make a guy taller or bigger, you know? Um, so like, I don't know. I, I kind of do think he's going to play a little bit better at Oregon than he would play at, at Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, and I like- also, I also sort of like, don't blame him that much for a lot of the sort of problems that I noticed. Cause I just sort of think that Ole Miss is a kind of a sloppy team. And also, by the way, if Dan, if Dan Lanning, you know, leaves Oregon for whatever reason, there's going to be, you know, the coaching carousel is going to fire up and there's going to be some people who want, Lane Kiffin to be Oregon's coach. I'm not going to be one of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, me I, neither. But uh, his name is always going to be yeah. somewhat synonymous with Oregon if he's available. Man, I I just don't. I did not enjoy doing the film study projects on just the wider team. Like I like Taishim Johnson and I've liked Casey Kelly. I just like yeah. I didn't like watching Ole Miss. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, I mean, Lane Lane's teams tend to be like fun to watch, but very chaotically I, and unorganized. I guess I'm not. You know, I, like, I'm not. So. It's, I mean, look, man, I also sort of, you know, I've been watching some other film too, like, uh, um, you know, uh, on other you know like i watched john donovan at washington for a long time i hated watching that i watched bill musgrave at cal i hated watching that you know mm-hmm. I, I watched um i watched the play calling just last week i was watching the or the the week before that sorry i was watching the play calling um at uh at east carolina for nishad struther you know the the offensive lineman and i was like this is a real boring this is a spread option offense and i and this is boring you know like lane kiffin's offense is more fun than that and like the defense was this dime all the time defense which like at least that's interesting i didn't like it but like at least it was interesting um whereas watching justin wilcox's defense is just like i is so boring uh anyway um it's like yeah man uh, this isn't like i know there are a lot of people who sort of hate lane kiffin for sort of reasons that are unique to him like he sort of sets people off that's uh, i hope i'm not giving off that vibe like i can quantify it it's like it's very specific like stuff to fundamental football um that i feel is like absent you know in a way that like i like watching bill belichick and nick saban teams because they do all the little fundamental stuff right because that that's the kind of football fan that i am like i like seeing technical stuff done correctly i know how nerdy that sounds but like if you object to be being a nerdy football fan you must be new to this podcast or (laughs) or what i do in review yeah man anyway boy this has been a long amount of setup let me recite what what casey kelly did did, because this is like boy this is crazy okay so he red shirts in 2019 because you know he needs to bulk up obviously so 2020 it's the covid year 
they get a transfer from Temple. His name's Kenny Yeboa. Um, he play. He's the starter for the first eight games. Uh, Kelly's the primary backup. Even even as a redshirt freshman, they get another transfer. A guy named uh, Rogers, uh, Chase Rogers from Louisiana, who's like a senior. But Rogers doesn't see the field really either. Um, and even so, uh, uh, Casey Kelly, as a redshirt freshman, is the primary backup. He's the guy who comes in first. Um, uh, but he still doesn't really see the field that much until the last two games, which um, Yaboa decides to sit out uh, for NFL prep, which a lot of guys do during the COVID year. So uh, Kelly becomes effectively the starter for the last two games, the final game of the regular season and then the bowl game against Indiana. Um, although he's sort of like rotating drives with Rogers, but he's the first dude and, and Rogers is the second dude. And, uh, Kelly plays really well in those two games, like, uh, like really well. It's like some of the best film that I have for my article is from those two games is a red shirt freshman. He's kind of like, wow, this guy's good. Um, and then, so then in 2021, what, you know, fast forward, like one month to, to January of 2021, he's in a skiing accident. Um, and he tears his ACL. It really sucks. Um, and so he misses all the spring practices um, and uh, and like the first month or so of the 2021 season. Um, and but then he gets he's like he comes back in October, uh, but they're kind of ginger with him. Uh, and so they're, they're playing Rogers a, a little more than they're playing Kelly. But then Rogers gets hurt. Um, I know this is confusing. Like too many guys are getting hurt and names to keep track of. But anyway, yeah, exactly. So, so, so now they're down to one tight end, and it's just Kelly. And it's week seven of the 2021 season. He is now a redshirt sophomore. Um, uh, but he's been on the team for this is now year three, right? Because he came into 2019 redshirted. He played in 2020, but that doesn't count because of the COVID, you know, holiday. Uh, so. Now it's 2021, but he missed, you know, the first like six weeks or so. Uh, uh, but now he's for real. It's like he he's, you know, and so from week seven and for the rest of the season, he's their man and he is on the field for like the entire time and he is catching passes and he's great. And like, this is where the majority of my film, you know, comes from is like the back half of the season in 2021. Um, and it's pretty good film. And he's got Matt Corral as his quarterback, but then Matt Corral gets hurt. <laughs> I know a lot of guys are getting hurt um and he gets luke altmeyer luke altmeyer is not nearly as good of a quarterback and he's like but the thing is about luke altmeyer is that he wants to throw the ball to the tight end a lot like he's not as good of a quarterback as matt corral and so like he gets a lot of throws from from luke altmeyer but they're a bunch of like stop routes you know but like here's the thing the stop route to casey kelly is lethal because he runs five yards catches the ball and then he just mauls a bunch of defensive backs for like seven more yards right he's just like watching uh it's like well, you know, like the, the like the Asian giant hornet, where the only ways the bees have to defend it is they form a bee ball around it to like cook it. Like that's what it looks like. It's, it looks like he's a giant hornet, and there's like seven bees that are on top of him <laughs> trying to stop him. It's hilarious. Uh, so anyway, there's a bunch of clips of that in my article. So anyway, he's you know he's pretty good um, at that, and he's like he's a pretty good blocker in in run. Uh, and and uh, but then here's the thing: like they don't want him to be doing 
pass blocking. And I'm like, why don't you want him to do that? They always have him split out when it's a pass play. They always detach him and have him be a wide receiver. Uh, and, you know, and I wind up doing a correlation analysis on this, you know, when I finally, you know, complete it. And it's like, you can tell what the play call is going to be over like three years is whenever they split Casey Kelly out, it's going to be a passing play. And whenever they, you know, have him in, you know, attached to the formation as an H back or in line, it's going to be a run play. I mean, not, totally strict but it's like 70 30 you know close to and then i went back and looked at oregon's film you know to, to, you know his correlation analysis to see hey does oregon tip its hand that badly nope oregon's like you know 53 47 you know like you know detached attached um yeah. in 11 personnel like oregon doesn't give the play away and that's over multiple offensive coordinators you know you know that's with uh, uh moorhead and uh dillingham you know over the same three-year time frame 2021 in 2022 um uh uh you know like whether they attach or detach the tight end does not give because oregon's a balanced offense um and they don't give away the play call will miss was um i was like what's going on here i don't like this uh anyway um uh, so they keep detaching Casey Kelly, but then not throwing him the ball. So then, okay, what happens in 2022? A couple things happen. They bring in two different guys from USC. One of them is uh, a new quarterback, uh, 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 Jackson Dart. That's because Matt Corral goes off to the NFL. He gets drafted in the third round. Um, uh, the, uh, the other thing that happens, they bring in a tight end, um, who's Michael Trigg. Uh, Jackson Dart, I think is actually not a bad quarterback, although he has this funny thing where he only wants to throw to wide receivers. He hates throwing to running backs and he hates throwing the tight ends it's weird um so it means that casey rogers doesn't get or excuse me um uh casey uh kelly doesn't get any uh passes he gets three passes all year long it's nuts um and number two is uh uh uh, uh they get you know michael trigg um michael trigg's not a very good tight end like i tell you that from watching his film at usc um this is the crazy thing, just completely bonkers off the wall nuts. They, I think made promises to Michael Trigg that he is going to be the starting tight end. And they, they kept that promise. He was the starting tight end in every game. He was the dude who took the first snap. You know, he played the first drive, Yeah, but it was like, you know, when you watch like cartoons that have like a smart aleck genie that like grant your wish, but like literally, you know, and, and in a way that kind of like screws you. So like he was the starting tight end, but all he would do was start. And then in like the second drive, I'm not joking about this in every game the second drive and then for the rest of the game they would put casey kelly in (laughs) so casey kelly wasn't the starting tight end anymore but he Uh, was the guy who played 90 percent of snaps yeah yeah so it's like what essentially a starter yeah exactly but like not into so it's like you would only know this from watching film because he only gets three catches and he's not the starter so it's like you know, unless you did film study, you would have no idea that this was the case. Because if you look at the stat sheet or you look at the official description, not the starter, only got three catches. Oh, this guy must not have been on film. Oh, guess what? He was on film. He was on film every game they played, except for when they played Texas A&M, in which they played the entire game in 10 personnel. And they except one play when they had Casey Kelly in catching a touchdown. It, it, it was on the goal line when they went to this crazy formation with multiple defensive tackles in, in this like split back. Oh man. It was like an exception to the exception. Boy, I'm really digressing here. Ole Miss is a weird team. Okay. So anyway, um, so yeah, 
uh, Casey Kelly was effectively their starting tight end for two games in the 2020 season for the back half of the, of the 2021 season and for all of the 2022 season, except you wouldn't know it. <laughs> so yeah, he's a very experienced tight end. Uh, oh, but also they wouldn't throw him the ball <laughs> in 2022, even though, but, but here's the other crazy thing. He, he, you you might think because they wouldn't th- throw in the ball, oh, they must have had him attached the whole time and he was just a blocking tight end. No, they were detaching him on 46% of his plays. Mm-hmm. Only 54% of his plays was he an H-back or an inline tight end. The other 46% of the plays, they would have him split out as a Y receiver or an, another like 9% or like 9% of that 46% um, was that, or nine points of that 46%. Uh, it was like, a, you know, he's a flanker, which is really weird. Uh, anyway, um, the, the, so like, but, but this, so then he would go run routes, but then never throw in the ball. It was just like, he, he was yeah. just on the field to get workouts. It was just like, <laughs> so like how he maintained his 255 pound weight is astonishing to me. Cause he was yeah, just like running know. a treadmill all day long. You know, so it was like the craziest film to watch. It was just like, you know, 46% of his snaps. I just watched him run. All he was doing was running. Who's it? Just running. Just running. So anyway, yeah, it was a weird film. Good thing thing he's coming to Tracktown, USA, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it must have been it. Must have been Roy Transfer, Eugene. He loves running track. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, weird film to watch, man. And the correlation analysis is really weird to run. I had like I put in a whole paragraph in my article that was maybe irrelevant, but just like I couldn't resist putting in, just be like, Blaine Giffen, what are you doing? This is you're running your offense wrong. Like anyway. So that could probably yep. be an entire novel titled Lane yeah. Kiffin. What are you doing? Yeah, I know, man. In yeah. fact, that's a line in my article. Um, so, uh, uh, so anyway, there, I, I put three clip compilations in my article that are like, this dude's got really good hands. You should throw the ball to him more, you know, like, cause I had a lot of film on that. I mean, not a lot of film on it, but I had enough film that I was comfortable putting in my article of like, this guy's got pretty good hands. You should throw him the ball more. Um, And then I put three clip compilations in my article of like, look, he's a really good run blocker. You know, or pretty good anyway, like 15%, which is about, or 15% error rate, which is about average. Like he could be better. I, I, he really could, he could be better, but it's not because of his frame or his head for the game. It's because of technique problems. Like he needs to get lower when he goes into contact. Um, and he could play with leverage a little better. Although I noticed he was getting better at that later on, which tells me like, you know, he could, that could be something that he could work on at Oregon. Like I, I hold out some hope for that. Um, and, uh, and then like downfield blocking on screen passes and stuff that could really stand to improve like that really like playing with leverage really could stand to improve. Um, although again, that's stuff that was getting a little better later. And I also sort of like some of his improv stuff, like these quarterbacks had to scramble a lot. Cause, oh, that's, I should have also noticed, noted that, um, when I was talking earlier about how sloppy, um, Lane Kiffin's team is God, this offensive line stunk, just stunk to high heaven. Um, and so the quarterbacks were constantly scrambling and so one of the things that he would have to do when he was split out, you know, and, and running around as a detached dude was he would have to throw improv blocks all the time. Well, guess what? He was a good dude to have thrown improv block because he's 255 pounds yeah. and he moves really well. Oh, I should, I should have said that too, is that like for a dude that's that big, like he moves really well. It's not like he's one of these big plotting, you know, heavy footed. Mm-hmm 
you know, tight ends, you see those sometimes, yeah. right? Where there's like, they're, they're really heavy. Yeah. No, nah, he runs, he moves really well. I think he runs his routes pretty well. I think he moves really well. He gets to his blocks. Well, in fact, there, I'm going to put one of the clips in my article. That's really good. It's where he and Trig are on the field at the same time. And they're, they're both, they're both on the same side of the formation and they're running a far, uh, it's a wide zone play. And they're, and, and like, and and Kelly gets to his block on time and throws it properly and Trigg does not. And it's like, look at totally like what a scientific experiment that we have, like both of the tight ends running their blocks and one guy gets the, the job done and the other doesn't because one of them is quick and the other one sucks because he went to USC and is a bust of a four star. Uh, hey, we were just talking about that in the previous segment. Anyway, um, a- anyway, uh, uh, so yeah, he's he's pretty good on improv blocks. And he's pretty good about like getting wide. You know, I just needed like his technique to improve a little bit. And just the last thing though is like the pass pro because like here's the thing: he's 255 pounds, which is like it's pretty good for a tight end. It's bad for an offensive lineman. You know what yeah. a 255 pound offensive lineman is called? Roadkill. Yeah, like. If you were a 255 pound offensive lineman, you were going to get demolished by, you know, if you try to take on a block straight up and he keeps trying to do it. He he tried to do it five different times. He actually won one of them. It was pretty cool. But like four times he just got run ran over. He got put on like roller skates. And it was like, Casey, you can't do that when you're a tight end who's trying to do it. You need to do that deflecting thing. You need to like kind of escort the dude. You can't just like take him on. And so it's like, he needs to get coached up on that. And like, I don't know, like that's the sort of thing. Maybe he'll be stubborn and he won't take to coaching. I don't, I don't know. Like it's one of the, like we were talking about in the last segment, like you don't know how these things are going to play out until they play out. So like, yeah. yeah. So from everything you've seen, it looks, it looks like I, a good, good what, what everything I've seen looks like this guy, I like his, I, I like the things that, that, I like the things that uh, God has to give him, you know, his size, his weight, his natural aptitude for the game, his bloodlines. I like all those things. Um, uh, The things that uh, have to be developed in him are much more of a mixed bag. And I am worried that it's too late because he came in in 2019. You know, that's like, that was a long time ago. Um, But coming to what I think is a coaching staff that's a little more detail oriented than the coaching staff that he was at. And so we'll see. Um, but I, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. Like if he transferred in last year so that he was in Oregon's tight end room that was comprised of um, or composed of, of Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavau, Cam McCormick and Patrick Herbert, like Casey Kelly would be tight end number five in that oh, room. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to oversell him. Like, like he was brought in to be tight end number five, or in this case, tight end number three, given that, you know, two of the the four dudes that I just listed have now departed. So like, don't get it twisted. You know, like that's what he was brought in to be. Um, uh, I, I'm just saying that like the, the idea and, and like, he would probably be ahead of Kenyon Sadiq. Cause like, you know, Kenyon Sadiq is 220 pounds. Like that dude needs to hit the training table just like Kelly did in 2019. Mm-hmm. 
like, and that's why he was brought in. Like, I, none none of that should be a surprise to anybody. Um, uh, it's just that, like when I watched his film, you know, I, I do have some news for people who were who may have like looked at the stat sheet and said, "Oh my God, this guy didn't play in 2022. They brought in Michael Trigg. He got his job taken away because he sucks so bad." Like, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. Like, he's I think he's a very solid tight end. In fact, I think he could improve with some better coaching. Um, we just don't know if if that's actually going to happen, that's, that's a potential thing that could happen. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we're going to leave the podcast too. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Um, like I noted in my article, keep in, keep enjoying your, your barbecues and your trips to the lake and stuff. Summer will be over quick enough and we'll be back into the swing of things. All camps. Yeah, camps. man. <laughs> it was a little cloudy here in Portland uh, uh, for a few days. Uh, in fact, I, I saw a little bit of rain on my car, uh, uh, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>